Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, you are listening to Mortification of Spin. My name is Todd Pruitt, and I am joined, as always, uh, by Amy Bird and Carl Truman. And today, we are honored to have a special guest with us. His name is Danny Hyde. Uh, Danny is uh, Danny's from California, and he just looks like he's from California. I mean, he doesn't have blonde hair, but he's got the hair going. And, uh, yeah, we and, and for no other reason, we, we have him on because Carl and I wish that we had his hair, um, <laughs> nevertheless. But um, uh, Danny Hyde is a pastor. He's the pastor of Oceanside United Reformed Church in Oceanside, California. And uh, he is the author of numerous very helpful books, some books that we have actually mentioned in the past on mortification of spin. And his books and his articles are easy to find online. And he's a guy that we like. And we like him because he has a sense of humor. And he understands that Carl Truman is a problematic human being as well. So, Danny, we are so glad that you chose to be with us today on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, just taking a quick break out of my surf schedule here. Uh, yeah, well, of course, of course. We figure that that's what everybody does in California. So <laughs> now, by the way, you need to have Carl Truman out there sometime and like force him to walk around in the daylight with shorts and a, and a t-shirt on or something. Get this man some sun. Hey, I am wearing shorts. Uh, that that is true. Turn yeah, up it's kind of scary. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And And I think, Danny, that they would like some hair advice, you know, with all the hair that they have. They were wondering what kind of hair gel you use. Please. Wow. Uh, I use two kinds of gel, actually, at, at all at the same time. I mix them up and make my own little formula. Oh, this, <laughs> might, this might be too complicated. You should market that stuff, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I've always used, since I've been in high school, I've always used LA Looks. That's the uh, the main <laughs> hair gel I hear. But I, have, but I always get like 10 plus, like the, the strongest one you can get. And, uh, oh, okay. Like it's used for spackling on air yeah, yeah, exactly. that so, kind of thing. Yeah, Car- Carl said to me this past Sunday, I guess, something like, you know, whenever Danny walks into a, a town, you know, the, the hair gel factory is going to overdrive. <laughs> yeah, share prices rise. Danny did actually scratch the ceiling of my house as he was walking through uh, on Sunday. Dan- Danny is a tall man yeah. and, and the hair adds about five inches to his already. Yeah. Um, impressive hype. Yeah. So, Something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Danny, there, there's any number of things we could have had you on to talk about. One of the books I recommend to people, for instance, when they are wrestling through the issue of of why Presbyterians baptize their babies, is I always recommend uh, your book, Jesus Loves the Little Children. And if you happen to be out there and are wondering why we baptize our babies, that's a terrific little book uh, to go to that we think you'd find helpful. But the reason why we have Danny on today is to talk some about our worship in particular. Particular, the second commandment found in Exodus 20, and uh, to talk about how we apply that, how Christians ought to apply that, how it's been applied um, historically, why it matters, and what God has given us to look at uh, in worship in order to avoid some of those things. But Danny's book is entitled In Living Color. This is one he wrote a few years back. The, the, The subtitle is Images of Christ and the Means of Grace. And it's a really helpful book if you're wrestling through the second commandment, and I would hope that you are, because we want to faithfully apply God's moral law. But if you're wondering, the second commandment is the prohibition against the use of images in worship. 
specifically where where God says uh, we're not to have any idols, anything that we would bow down before in our worship. So, Danny, help us understand a little bit about how the Reformed churches have historically applied the Second Commandment, because some would say to the Reformed application of the Second Commandment, well, that's more restrictive than is actually stated in the Law of Moses. And so, explain a little bit about how the Reformed have traditionally applied the Second Commandment, and then why the Reformed would believe that that is the appropriate application of the more general words in the second commandment? Uh, Sure thing, yeah. Uh, The issue of images uh, in churches, that debate amongst Protestants, Reformed and Lutheran, goes back as far as I know, uh, at least as early as uh, Theodore Beza and his debates with Lutherans as one of the key differences between our Protestant traditions. And the reason for it is, I would say, number one, taking the, the actual commandment seriously, reading it, at face value, there's actually two prohibitions in uh, that commandment. So it's not making images and not worshiping those things. Because a lot of times people think, well, you know, as long as you don't worship the image, as long as you don't bow down to, uh, you know, the bearded white guy on the on the picture, <laughs> the statue, you're okay. Yeah. Um, but the commandment actually says, don't make an image and don't worship it. So it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Looking at it at face value, taking it seriously, and obviously, you know, how we see the, the division of the commandments as well, you know, another difference between us and a Lutheran, seeing that second commandment, you know, as a distinct commandment and not subsumed underneath the first, one of the differences between us and a Lutheran brother or sister. And then, uh, you know, as far as how it gets applied, you know, the, the big sort of principle there is how do we approach God? How do we love God? And so we, we have to love the true God and we have to uh, honor him and, and love him and worship him and serve him as he requires, as he deserves, as he demands, uh, as well as, you know, using his name rightly and, and worshiping him, you know, when he calls us together. So that big principle of worshiping God as he commands us is sort of the big overarching principle that we want to get across, you know, and the images themselves, you know, can be a sort of a subset of that. I mean, it's, it seems like that's the one commandment that a lot of people don't think is actually sinful to break, Mm. you know, like, okay, yes, we're not to commit adultery. We're not to use the Lord's name in vain. We're not to, to steal, you're not to bear false witness. But when we talk about this topic, I think people are kind of like, come on, like, is it really a sin? (laughs) Yeah. Because we're so we're so used to it, that and and of course the Sabbath command. But we're so used to using pictures and visual aids in our in our worship. Yeah, it used to be one of the reasons why I was always amused at uh, Americans making such a big deal of getting the Ten Commandments right. set up in <laughs> in courtrooms. Because I think, but the most optimistic an American only believes in eight of the Ten Commandments so why do you want all ten there you know? um, you've got images and you break the Sabbath regularly um, so and that assumes the person can actually uh, name the Ten Commandments that they're yeah. arguing to put on court exactly. lawns and whatnot. yeah yeah yeah. yeah, exactly. But exactly. so, Danny, how do you get around thinking about this this forbidding of images? Then one of the things that's always struck me is you know the incarnation, Ten Commandments given at Sinai. This is pre-incarnation. Does the incarnation make any difference? And, and one of the ways I'd, I'd sort of press this is you know, the Westminster Larger Catechism makes it very clear that we're not to make mental images of God. It's question one hundred nine of the Larger yeah. Catechism. But if you'd been a disciple, you'd have had 
a mental image of Jesus. If you'd walked around the Mediterranean with Jesus, you'd have a mental image of him, which may have faded or become a little bit more or less accurate over time. If cameras had existed in the first century, somebody could have taken a picture of Jesus. Presumably, he would actually have been reproducible on a, on a piece of photographic film. Do you think the incarnation makes a difference? And if so, what level of difference does it make? Well, sure, it makes a difference in terms of the God who is unseeable, we cannot see him and live, has obviously climactically entered into our world and taken upon himself not a generic humanity, a, a particular human nature. And so, there, there is one Jesus. And so, that particularity of who he is, yeah, they, they obviously they, they touched him. So, First John says they touched, they saw, they fellowshiped with him, they sat with him, they they saw the miracles and so forth, and they put their hands and fingers in his side. The big issue is obviously, you know, it's not about, you know, could they have reproduced and, you know, could somebody have taken a picture or whatnot? The issue is, I would say at least as we focus on, you know, incarnational issues, it would be a text like 1 Peter 1 that focuses, and here's Peter writing to believers in what's today, you know, Western Turkey, uh, who hadn't seen Jesus. And the focus he gives to them is that uh, although they hadn't seen him, yet they still believed in him and loved him, but yet they will one day uh, see him face to face. Because he says in First Peter 1, though you do not yet see him now. So there is a, a sort of eschatological jumping of the gun. If we want to see him now, you know, we're sort of going beyond the bounds of what we ought to expect. And so there's a hope, there is an eschatology uh, involved in not having images even now. You know, so what does that mean for the apostles and those who actually saw him? Yeah, that, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that one bit, as far as any kind of mental image, is one that's kind of flummoxed me. And again, just from the standpoint of, I don't know if it's humanly possible to avoid, you know, a, a kind of a picture in your mind. Because, again, I mean, we've all grown up seeing pictures yeah, of Jesus. Sadly, the picture in our minds yeah. is like the, the felt board Jesus right. or the Jesus hanging in the dining room. <laughs> right. I mean, Barry you know, Gibb. It, 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 pops, it pops. I mean, we, well, we know what Jesus looked like because of the Shroud of Turin. So, we already know what he looked he like. He looks and like so, Barry Gibb. He's, he's, <laughs> a Semitic Barry Gibb. Um, but uh, even people who I know who really would be on the more observant, you know, historically observant side of the second commandment even to the, you know, no Jesus storybook Bible, you know, that kind of thing, still have to acknowledge, man, that's, I'm not sure how you avoid having a, a mental picture of God or, you know, if you've looked at uh, the picture of God in, in the, you know, if you've seen that famous picture of the detail from the Sistine Chapel or, or William Blake's painting, Ancient of Days, or, you know, those kinds of things, those things are going to come to your mind, I think, almost unavoidably. Yeah. And I think, at least as I think about that, uh, just reading the Gospels themselves, I mean, it's, it presupposes imagination that we have to imagine a person walking. I mean, I'm reading, I'm preaching the Gospel of John right now, and there's a lot of, like there is throughout the Old Testament as well, language of, you know, going up and going down. And, you know, and we think on a map sort of two-dimensionally, but we have to imagine, you know, hills and, and what, what does a sea look like and touching somebody and, you know, spitting in the dirt and making mud. I mean, we, we have an image of that in our heads. But we're not going into that sort of presupposing whatever this painting might be. I, I, and, I, and I think that for me, at least, is sort of a dividing line of reading the Gospels honestly. And yeah, we're going to have an imaginatory 
aspect to that, but not going into it thinking, well, you know, I was once in downtown Los Angeles, you know, when I was first converted and we went to a place that John Perkins had set up, you know, in the inner city and there's a big black Jesus there. I mean, am I supposed to think of that? No, but I obviously realized he was a real human being. He has a true human nature. And so he walked, he talked, he touched and so forth. Yeah. So in continuing to kind of think in terms of the incarnation and does it make a difference in terms of how we apply the second commandment? So let's say somebody comes to you in your church and they love having, you know, the Jesus storybook Bible at home and reading to that, that to their kids. And they begin to think, Hmm, I wonder if that's a violation of the second commandment. And so they come to you as their pastor and they ask you about that. Is the Jesus storybook Bible, is that a violation of the second commandment? Because they're pretty sure it doesn't because this is just for pedagogical purposes. Um, it's not being brought into the context of the corporate worship of God's people. It's not an attempt to to depict the invisible God, but just a pedagogical depiction of the incarnate Jesus. And so they're really skeptical that that violates the second commandment. How do you how do you talk to them about that? I give them Carl Truman's email and I tell them to take it up with him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, good, good question. It, it, it happens a lot. So, uh, I, yeah. and, I, and I get that question a lot too. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a great, uh, little section of questions and answers in, a, in the Heidelberg catechism, the catechism that we use in our church. And, uh, there's a question that, that actually asks that very thing when it, when it says question 98, you know, are, are not pictures permitted as books for the laity? And the answer is a really a beautiful answer. We're not to be wiser than God. Uh, he wants us to be taught uh, not by images, it actually says dumb images, not by images that cannot speak, but by the lively preaching of his word. And so, you know, to me as a pastor, the issue is not, well, you know, that person has the original three-volume Banner of Truth edition of Catherine Voss's Story Bible that has no images, and this person over here has the one volume that published by, I don't know, Zondervan or whatnot, that has the big Jesus in the front. You know, this person's in conformity to the law of God. And that person is going to be sanctioned. The issue for me is always the heart issue. Are you understanding that God wants us to read, to hear preaching, to apply, to celebrate sacraments, uh, to come together and to see other living images of God, you know, recreated in Christ's image, to grow together in Him? And so, yeah, I have no problem saying, yes, that's a violation of the command, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, for me, it's always a a time to talk about the real important substantive things of what we do, why we do it, why it's important to really focus, you know, with your kids, especially on, you know, the word. We wouldn't need pictures if we would take time to even, as parents, use our own imaginations and how we explain things, read the gospels as they are. These are dramatic stories. These are amazing stories and not sort of simplify it with, you know, yeah, two-dimensional felt boards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just at a memorial service and a more Southern Baptist genre, and I heard the strangest teaching. While I don't even know how it got slipped in, while he was getting the gospel, he said that picture you have of Jesus on the cross in your dining room. He was so beaten. His face was unrecognizable. That picture you have of the recognizable Jesus is incorrect. He was so ugly, you couldn't even look at it. And then he goes, but you should. That's the picture you should have in your dining room. And I just thought, whoa, like, okay. I just had to sit there shocked for a minute because, you know, 
point us to Christ and the Word. And, and you know, we, we also have, as you explain in your book, we have the means of grace. You know, we have the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Could you explain maybe some, some positive things like that? that oh, can, yeah. To yeah. direct and our gaze to Christ instead of a, a two-dimensional portrait in our dining room? Yeah, you know, and just kind of take a step back, you know, the, the person listening to this, uh, my book is not just like a big bash on images. Right, <laughs> right. that's why I was talking about the, 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 the positive. positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I wrote it as a pastor, you know, this is back in the day when, uh, you know, The Passion of the Christ came out, and I was asked so many questions about that, as all of us probably mm-hmm. were, you know, the greatest evangelistic opportunity in 2000 years and whatnot. <laughs> and, uh so, you know, I, re- I had written a little pastoral letter to my congregation just about this issue, you know, not saying go, not go. It's more just here's the issue at hand. What really got me going was, uh, it was a few years later after that when that abominable Jim Carrey movie, Bruce Almighty, came out. Yes. Um, and then, you know, so it had kind of devolved. And I think it was later, uh, the guy from The Office. Oh, yeah. Evan uh, Almighty, the, the Noah thing. Yeah, yeah Evan Almighty, mm-hmm. you know. So that, that really got me going. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, but to say like, okay, here's what the issue is, but yeah, the, the positive side of it is really what I care about, um, preaching and celebrating in public worship with believers, the things that Christ has given to us. And so, you know, you, so just think about, uh, you know, preaching, obviously, you know, that has, that's a whole other conversation about, uh, trying to, trying to be visual and imaginatory and so forth, but uh, the sacraments themselves, um, how do we celebrate sacraments in a typical Reformed church? And, you know, I'll speak from my experience uh, coming into the Reformed, you know, world uh, in a particularly, you know, very, very like somber Dutch Reformed, uh, you know, sort of sliver of the Reformed world. We, we, we typically kind of just sit passively and, you know, these things we do every once in a while. And, you know, the pastor says some things and, you know, we go home. Uh, I think the sacraments are opportunities for us to continually press in visible ways the gospel of Jesus Christ for our souls. And so, you know, when we, do, when we baptize in our congregation, obviously the, the parents are up there, you know, or the convert or the, the baby being brought. But, you know, <clears throat> I use this as, as a great opportunity to have all the kids come up and preach the law and the gospel to these children who have been baptized you know, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. You know, how amazing is this that God uses water to signify and to seal to us the everlasting gospel? Um, so the focus is not upon the baby, you know, sort of the, the white baptismal gown, the family photo op, you know, or, you know, in our tradition, we have these very lengthy forms that we have to read for sacraments that are very beautiful and they're full of wonderful teaching. But a lot of times they can they can feel very verbose, um, didactic, and overly sort of peachy. So trying to use these opportunities, you know, in a positive way to remind the whole congregation this is why God has given these sacraments to us. He knows our weaknesses. You know, He knows that every one of us who hears the good news today is still going to struggle, and so He gives us to all of our senses. Uh, there's a great line in the Belgian Confession that calls the the sacraments appendices to the gospel. So God has, you know, added them on to at the end, as it were, of the story, knowing our being like dust and, and being frail and weak. And so, yes, the, the, the means, the, the public means, especially the sacraments, visible, they're, they're edible, 
Right. Uh, we can smell, we can smell the wine, you know, uh, not sure what Carl uses at his church, but we use wine. We well, use, Carl, hey, we use wine. At, at Carl's church, they use a salad bar. <laughs> so that's a little weird. Yeah, I love I love the um, whole kind of language of, well, you know, God actually does uh, let us have, you know, quote unquote, images in the worship. It's called water, bread, and the cup. Those are the things that God has given us as visual aids that help us to, uh, to see the gospel after it's preached. Yeah. I, I preached through the Ten Commandments this year, and one of the things that, that happens in the first two commandments is that the, the uniqueness of Israel's religion is is established. So yep. there's going to be one God, and here's how you worship Him, or here's how you don't worship Him. And and in both cases, those two commandments set apart Israel from the nations in terms of 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 how they of how they worship, because as they looked at the nations all around them, the nations had worship that looked a lot more fun. Yep. <laughs> and, and one of the things that really bothered me back in the 90s when, when the emergent church movement was really picking up steam, particularly in the late 90s, was this idea that, well, you know, now we have to move away from preaching and to these other things, lots of visuals, kind of storytelling, because people today are, are more visual. That's what makes us so unique. But people have always preferred yep. the visual to the That's auditory. Right. That set God's people apart. 4,000 years ago. It, it's not a new thing to prefer, humanly speaking, the visual over the auditory. And yet God's called us in terms of worship and how we engage with him to be primarily auditory. And so I think each generation of Christians has to kind of learn that. I mean, you know, the, the, the golden calf was an example of a rebellion against this word-centered faith. Yeah, even the... The serpent himself, even right. before the fall, appeals to Eve on the basis of what she can see and touch and so forth, as right. opposed to what God has clearly said not to do. Right. And so being sustained by the word and then under the word, the sacraments is, is a thing that each generation of Christians has to learn that that is sufficient, that these are the things that God has given you. And it's a challenge for every generation of Christians, not just, well, now everybody's a visual learner. People have yeah. always preferred the visual. Except I would say that today, culturally, we live in a more visually oriented society. No doubt than about maybe, it. I mean, one of Neil Postman's arguments is that you know, the Reformation represented the emergence of the word spoken and written as the key medium for shaping, influencing people. Mm -hmm. With the advent of the television, movies, and now, of course, uh, information technology, we're much more aesthetically, visually uh, imagely no inclined no so it. that's not to say what you said isn't correct but it is to say we live in a world where the church has to be even more countercultural now than oh, perhaps yeah, it had to be a hundred no years doubt. ago and it's going to be that yeah. much harder to hold exactly. the line on these things right right and now you have churches that have turned their their lord's day services or whenever they have their weekly services into carnivals for the eyes and the ears with aerial artists and where do you live uh, man aerial light artists? shows what? that, that, that <laughs> <laughs> that's something i saw online there's a pastor i forget which state he's in but he has these he has this aerialist you know from a circus that's doing these things while they're singing is he pca um, no it's no not it's not PCA, <laughs> believe it or not um but but you didn't, didn't even have to ask if it was urc i've seen pca churches i've seen pca churches with bouncy castles outside them on a sunday afternoon <laughs> there you go uh we won't say 
Anyway, yeah. um, we won't mention which capital of Southern music that was spotted <laughs> right, out, but right, right, right. Um, but broadly evangelical churches, and even as Carl is kind of hinting at here, even churches that are that are under a a reformed banner or a Presbyterian banner, while they may not have uh, a depiction of God in their worship service, they find ways, nevertheless, to dazzle the eyes and the ears of people. That are just that 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 is a, a a big distraction from the things that God has given, you know, to sustain us. I think it's worth mentioning there that you know, we cannot neatly separate form and content. That the gospel is given in a verbal form, and to transmute that into a visual genre actually changes the content. As well, it's not just a case of well, we've got the gospel here. What's the the culturally plausible form in which we can present it? A gospel that is presented visually, I think, is a different gospel to the gospel that is presented Indeed. by proclamation. Yeah, the gospel is something you hear, and this is one of the things that's so unique. Again, Danny, you you, you have this great section in your book on the sacraments, where you know this is one of the things that that is so unique about the sacraments is that. You know, here the gospel is this auditory event. It's the it's the announcing of the good news, and after that good news is announced, then we receive the Lord's Supper and we see visual tokens in the bread and the cup of the gospel that was just proclaimed, and that's what Jesus has given us as these visual tokens. Yeah, and I would say just to add to that, you know, not advocating or saying anything pro or con for a weekly communion or whatnot, but all of our preaching ought to be sacramental in that sense, in, ter- in terms of you know driving us towards the word that we've heard, driving us to Christ. Here's a tangible expression of that. Here's where we're going as far, you know, if you have it saved monthly, driving preaching towards the sacraments in terms of the things that God has given tangibly to assure and sort of as boundary markers, you know, as sort of little, uh, that's what they are. They're, they're signs and they're, and they're seals meant to impress upon us in a way that the word doesn't. There, there's a limitation to the word because it's audible. Right, right. And so there's this kind of gracious condescension, this, 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 this merciful stooping, if you like, from the Lord to give us these, these things we can take up in our hands in terms of the bread and the cup. It, yeah. And I will say, for those who are listening, any does not work at an AT&T call center. That phone in the background was, was not, uh, he, he is gainfully employed as a pastor, and we just don't want anybody worried. That's the thing. Well, here's a kind of practical, tricky question, though, which I've recently seen this bothered me, but also um, in a church I was a part of, they kind of inherited a building that had a huge stained glass picture of Jesus as the shepherd. Um, and, you know, it's stained glass. It's huge. Right. And, you know, the joke in the church was, oh, oh, that's just a shepherd. That's not the shepherd, <laughs> you know, because it's just so expensive to have mm. to change out. Sure. And I mean, like, what do you do in those kind of situations? And then, like, I know this was a little bit easier of problem to solve but i was a church i was visiting to hear somebody else preach and it was a non-denominational church that obviously didn't have a problem with it because there was a big huge painting right behind the pulpit and like where the baptismal is of a shepherd you know the shepherd jesus and it was terribly inaccurate as far as like ethnicity and everything else too (laughs) and i mean you know it affected my worship in a sense you know when i walked in because you have to stare at it pretty much while you're in there and those things are such distractions. 
And that would be my, because that's part of the problem here. And, and, and that would be my, I, I guess, as we think about, I mean, obviously we don't read the mind of God, but, but the second commandment didn't come out of nowhere. There are, I think, some probably clearly discernible reasons why God said, don't make images and, and don't bring them into your worship and bow down and stuff. Like that. You know, what, what, what can we conclude in terms of why God gave us that command? Sorry, guys, got to repeat. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Pay attention, uh, man. Were you, on, out on us? were you on the other Pay line? Attention. Was that no, it? No, 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 did, no. no. Did, did you have to deal with an angry customer? It's been online poker <laughs> or something. Take, well, he was yeah. taking an order. He <laughs> <laughs> works for Disney. That was an order I, for I the new princess say, outfit. And he Todd, was just, Todd's voice does tend to put me asleep as well, Danny. So <laughs> now, don't be embarrassed. Now, so. Danny, I'm going to ask you a question. Um... So, so the question uh, was about so so uh, <laughs> yeah so so the, the 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 question was why did God give us the second commandment? What can we, by good sanctified common sense, conclude about the why behind the second commandment? What does that say about Him? What does that say about us? Yeah, uh, I mean, what does it say about us? Uh, it's a huge presupposition that God knows our nature, doesn't He? He knows what we are like. And he knows what we like uh, in terms of how we want to worship. Because at the end of the day, what we want is someone, something that looks like us, that, you know, is as cool as us, that's going to, you know, respond to us when we want him or her or it. Sort of the, the Burger King philosophy of religion, you know, how you want it, when you want it, as much as you want it, you know, have it your way. God knows that. He knows our frame. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we are... Uh, worms. He knows that we are sinners. So we're, we are rebels by nature. He knows that we suppress the knowledge of, of, of who he is constantly. And so he's given this command, yes, to, to show our sins, you know, to use the law in its, in its use of showing and exposing who we are. But there's also a positive side to the commands, uh, the aspect of giving them to us for our life and for a response of gratitude to his grace. And so he gives the command also, you know, not just to, to expose that we are, you know, wretched sinners, which we are, but to also to give us boundaries and guidelines to, to curb our own appetites, to keep us focused as much as we humanly possibly can in this life upon who he is, worshiping him rightly and seeking to more and more, as Paul says, to delight in the law of God, in that particular law, this commandment, uh, to delight in worshiping God as he commands, uh, not as I want, but as he commands in our inner being and praying that the Holy Spirit is renewing that desire uh, and that image of Christ within us. That's good. Yeah. I'm sorry. I missed that. What'd you say? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Danny, I was bored by your answer. <laughs> uh, well, thank hey, man, you, big Danny. Just came in. Sorry. You know, I had to, had to <laughs> jump out quick and, and hop on. <laughs> well, we were glad we got to talk to you today, Dan. Thanks for coming on. I was listening. <laughs> it was very good. <laughs> every every word dropping down, you know, like like manna, like exactly. honey from the comb. Exactly. That's right. That's right. 
Well, and I also want to thank our listeners. Give them an opportunity to maybe win a copy of your book. If you cruise on over to our website at mortificationofspin.org, you can enter for an opportunity to win Daniel Hyde's book, In Living Color, Images of Christ and the Means of Grace. And that's published by Reformed Fellowship. And we are happy to give away a few copies of that. So stop on over there. And we also appreciate your prayers and your support. And we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Very much to be celebrated that Jack Phillips, the proprietor of Masterpiece Cake Shop, won his case. When you consider what Jack Phillips has been through personally, professionally, and financially, you have to ask yourself, first of all, how many other uh, people similarly situated are simply knuckling under? We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. You know, for all of the teasing I get about how I start to get as the day wears on, Carl, Carl Truman, really? every time, He's Carl Truman, down, by this he? time in the day, yeah. it, he looks like he is about to fall over and fall asleep. And look he how becomes, disengaged he is. I, I, totally, he totally gets disengaged and he starts getting really tired. And, and then he'll close out a program like, um, well... I hope that was of some use to you. <laughs> I, I, I hope you found something valuable out of that ridiculous discussion we just had. <laughs> anyway, here's a book. Uh, <laughs> anyway, here's a book. Oh, my.